Well, thank you, everybody, and welcome to another Ed Choice Chat. On the phone, we've got our policy director, Jason Bedrick. Lauren Hodge is out on assignment in South Carolina this week, so she is doing good work down there, uh, potentially testifying about their education savings account bill down there. Uh, sort of the hearing was on again, off again, on again, off again, and I think it's on again uh, as of right now. So uh, she is down there tackling that. But again, Jason and I are going to give you sort of a uh, look back at the month of March, and we're going to talk about what happened in March and maybe a quick look forward about things that we could uh, expect to see in, in April. So Jason, you know, there's no need to banter back and forth. I think you could probably just get right into the states that you want to cover. I think the biggest news is Florida, where we have competing voucher legislation. So in a lot of states, it's a question of will they or won't they. Florida is exciting in that the question is, which will they? So we've got the Florida Senate Education Committee passed SB 7070. That would, it, it's an omnibus bill, so it does a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things it does is it creates a school voucher program for low-income students, and uh, it would be about up to 15,000 vouchers available in the first year, and it would grow over time. The main purpose of this bill, as the authors explain it, is that it would be funding the wait list for the tax credit scholarship program, which is currently available to nearly 100,000 low-income students in the state, but they've got a wait list. There's a number of students who aren't able to participate. This would be helping with that wait list. Although the difference is instead of a tax credit scholarship, this would actually be a directly publicly funded program. The Florida House Educations and Appropriations Committees both passed HB 7075, which would also create a voucher for low and middle income students with a cap that's about twice as big. So it's about 28,000 students in the first year. And it would also grow over time. Uh, so it's a little bit more of an ambitious program. And there are now negotiations between the House and the Senate. Uh, and we'll see which of these two pass and make it all the way to the governor's desk. Personally, I'm hoping for the more ambitious of the two that would uh, serve twice as many students uh, for obvious reasons. Jason, can I ask a question about that? So obviously, you know, maybe some of the listeners might be sitting here thinking, you know, so, well, Jason, you just talked about a voucher program. You know, wasn't there a voucher program that the Florida Supreme Court struck down in Bush v. Holmes? You know, what's the thought on passing a voucher program? The Bush v. Holmes decision was a very narrow decision and also one that was highly controversial because it was so poorly reasoned. Uh, essentially, Bush v. Holmes, it was not a Blaine Amendment case like many of the other cases, or at least the decision. It was decided on the uniformity clause, which says that the Florida State Constitution says that the state of Florida must provide a free and uniform education you know, for all students in the state. But nobody really knows what uniform means, and the state Supreme Court didn't decide what it means. Does it mean uniformity when it comes to funding? Is it uniformity in terms of the curriculum? Uniformity in terms of the number of hours that you have each subject or hours in the day? No one is really quite sure what uniform means, especially when you have special education and you've got uh, some schools that might have a focus on STEM, others that might have a focus on arts and music. So nobody really knows what it means. What they essentially said was, well, you, we can't be running a publicly funded 
separate system of schools. Somehow this didn't apply to charters, but they, they struck down the vouchers with that. So there has been a lot of skepticism about this decision in the decade since it was brought down. But I think the main change that everyone's looking at is the makeup of the state Supreme Court. The new governor has had the opportunity to fill a few vacancies on the court uh, due to aging out of of, the existing members of the court aging out. And so now the court is much more solidly conservative and contains members who have a history of supporting school choice and being skeptical of the Bush v. Holmes decision. So there is a very strong feeling in the legislature and the governor's office, uh, and I think just in the political establishment uh, left and right generally, that were another lawsuit to go to the state Supreme Court, there would be a very different decision than Bush v. Holmes, and it would be upheld. So I think that's uh, part of the reason that the legislators are much more emboldened to be pushing a a publicly funded voucher program as opposed to a privately funded taxpayer scholarship program at this time. So they're not, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're not uh, shying away from a potential lawsuit. You know, they, they understand that that's a potential outcome is that they may wind up in litigation. So that is sort of factored into this as it were. Yeah. And at, at this point I would say they welcome it. Okay. Well, there you go. Welcoming to get sued. That's not something uh, not something that happens every day, uh, but it is the great state of Florida, and, and they are one of the leaders in educational choice, so uh, we, we wish them good luck. Absolutely, and I'm sure that Ed Choice, our good friend Leslie Heiner, will be writing an amicus brief if and when there is a lawsuit. So we will keep you posted, listeners. Awesome. Well, th- thank you, Jason. Sorry for that detour. I apologize. No problem. I'll move on slightly north and west to Arkansas where the state Senate passed SB 539. That would create a tax credit scholarship program similar to the one that they have currently operating in Florida. They already have a small voucher program, so students who are using one would not be eligible to use the other, but uh, this would be helping low-income children. So this is certainly a step in the right direction. Although it's a very small tax credit, it's only three million dollars so we're talking you know a few hundred kids this is uh, you know in some sense more of a pilot program than anything else in maryland uh, they passed a budget that includes a 5.5 million dollar appropriation that's up from three million dollars so again their low-income voucher is still a, a pilot program but it is growing so there's that in mississippi We had had uh, a really tumultuous year where an expansion to the education savings account, which serves students with special needs and has a wait list, the expansion was killed. But in the 11th hour, they passed a bill that actually was primarily about various construction projects and apparently an additional $2 million in funding was added to this other bill for the education savings accounts. And that's approximately 300 new seats in the program to help these students with special needs get access to an education that works right for them. 
Apparently, there were a number of legislators who did not actually read the bill before voting on it. They thought they were only voting on construction projects, they say, and didn't realize that in addition to helping special interests with their, with their construction projects, they would also be helping families with special needs kids. And that, for some of these legislators, was a bridge too far. So there were a number of motions for reconsideration filed. But it appears that uh, it, it's likely to actually get signed into law. So some may have qualms with the way that this was passed. It's certainly frustrating as a, a supporter of school choice to see that uh, the original bill failed and that it, it, it was only passed in this manner. You know, as a former legislator, this this is how the sausage gets made. And if you're not going to read the legislation before you vote on it, you really can't complain. It was available for everybody to read in advance. This was not it was certainly not a surprise for the committee when they added it. The fact that there were members on the floor of the House that just didn't notice it doesn't speak particularly well of of those who didn't catch it. But in any case, it is what it is. It's good for those. 300 uh, students with special needs who have access to it, and we're hopeful that uh, our friends at Empower Mississippi and the others in the state who are working on this issue are going to be able to demonstrate the effectiveness of the program, show how uh, it's serving these families and particularly these students so well, and that they'll be able to, uh, going forward, garner the sort of support necessary to actually continue expanding the program uh, without these sorts of uh, shenanigans. Jason, you mentioned that there were calls for reconsideration. Would you explain what that means to our listeners out there? You know, uh, like like I said, we like to try to give definitions to some of these terms of art. So would you want to kind of explain kind of what the reconsideration process is and kind of what that means to folks? Sure. Uh, the, now, the rules obviously are different in every state legislature, not even just every state, even every, every body adopts its own rules. But generally speaking, those who voted on the prevailing side of a motion have a window of time in which they can move reconsideration. So if, uh, let's say, a bill passed and there was somebody who voted for it, and for whatever reason, within this time period, sometimes 24 hours, 48 hours a week, whatever, depending on the, the legislature, if they change their mind and they were on the prevailing side, they move that they take another vote on that bill. So there were a number of those who voted in favor of it who said, wait a second, uh, I, I didn't realize that was there. I want to I wanna change my vote. So that's the... That's what a motion for reconsideration would do. Got it. Thank you for that. I just wanted to make sure everyone uh, kind of understood on the uh, on our listening side uh, what what we were talking about. So yes, thank you, Jason. I'll let you uh, let you get back to your uh, daily scheduled tasks. Yeah, sure. So I want to hit three other states. One is Oklahoma, where the Senate passed SB four o seven. That's a bill that would expand the state's tax credit scholarship program from where it is currently at three point five million up to ten million. So a rather significant expansion, although not as expansive as the bill originally was, which was $40 million. So it was, it was scaled down considerably, but still would practically triple the size of the program, almost. So that's something exciting. And then in Utah, the Utah House of Representatives passed SB 177. That would create a tax credit scholarship for students with special needs, and that has gone over to the Senate. Now we have 
New Hampshire. So the good news in New Hampshire is that a bill that had been filed to repeal the state's tax credit scholarship failed. There was also a bill that is a little sneakier. It doesn't directly repeal the tax credit scholarship program. What it does is it creates a new program that would help students that are currently in public school with some additional learning. I think it was, you know, like job training and stuff like that. But as its revenue source, it would take the tax credits that are currently right now only used for the scholarship organizations that fund low-income students going to private schools. So at least there in New Hampshire, I think there was a sense that they couldn't outright repeal the program. There was too much popular support for school choice. What they would do instead is they would just, you know, you've got this, this bucket that's all meant for these low-income kids in New Hampshire's case. They put a spigot on the side, and now they're taking out of that bucket for this other purpose. That actually was tabled. Uh, now, a tabling motion means that we are putting this aside to discuss later, but it's a, so we're not voting yes and we're not voting no. We're just talking about it later. But most legislators understand that uh, a tabling motion is usually the death of that piece of legislation. In the case in New Hampshire, it would take a supermajority to take something off the table. One, at least once it passes a certain deadline. So that bill is likely dead. But there is talk that a similar provision might be added to the budget. And then the difficulty there is, would the governor veto the budget over this or not? So that's something that's yet to be seen. The governor has been very vocal, but he does not want anything that rolls back school choice in the budget. There's a good chance that he's going to veto the, the first budget anyway due to other disagreements between the governor and the legislature over provisions that aren't even related to school choice or even education policy at all. So we'll see what happens in the second round of negotiations over the budget. Hopefully this gets left on the cutting room floor. The local school choice coalition was offering other proposals. They said, hey, you know, we, we will support a direct appropriation for this new program that you want. Just don't fund it out of the pockets of low-income families that are trying to provide their children with a better education that's more tailored to their needs. They said, you know, if, if you even want to have a portion of these tax credits, like if you can have, if we don't, like currently they've got about $5 million in tax credits, but they haven't been using them entirely. So they said, if you want to have our unused credits, we'd be happy to let you use those. There are a number of different compromises that uh, were offered, but the other side was adamant they did not want any of those compromises, which really showed that what they really wanted was not this new program because they were, they were offered that. What they really wanted was to undermine school choice which is, it's really unfortunate, and we will be keeping an eye on that situation and keeping our listeners in the know about what's going on. That is a very unfortunate situation up there. Obviously, anytime you want to take away uh, scholarships from kids that are utilizing that, it's something to certainly watch and, and uh, 
stop if possible. Uh, so thank you for, for that update. Yeah, and I should also note before I pass the baton over to you, we had been keeping our listeners apprised of a number of bills in different states as they were passing uh, committees and even in some cases some chambers. But all of the school choice legislation in Georgia, in Kentucky, Missouri, and North Carolina failed to be acted upon before the deadline for what's called in most states crossover, which is the deadline for bills that are in the House go over to the Senate or bills that started in the Senate to go over to the House. They don't act on those bills before a certain point, then it's essentially like the bill was voted uh, no. Uh, so those bills are not alive this year. But uh, we will continue to monitor those states and again, keep you posted. Uh, thank you. So Jason, are they mostly dead? Or are they all the way dead? You know, if we Princess Bride it, uh, where are they? So uh, let's call them mostly dead. Mostly dead. I would say more so even than the Princess Bride, right? Uh, <laughs> where he actually, they, they're able to uh, revive him. But in these cases, they, they're unlikely to be revived, but it is possible that they could be attached as amendments to other bills if they are germane, which is to say, if they are uh, of a close, a similar topic, close enough for that legislative chamber. Uh, and that, of course, varies from state to state and even chamber to chamber. Some chambers have a history of very narrowly interpreting uh, germaneness. Others have a much more flexible approach. You know, for example, we saw in Mississippi, they take a much more flexible approach. You know, in Florida, they have some bills that are just, if it has anything to do with education, we allow it in the education omnibus bill. New Hampshire is usually a little tighter in the House, a little looser in the Senate. I'm familiar with Arizona as well, where for germaneness, they want to see that the original bill is actually modifying the same statute that any amendment would would be addressing. So... It, it does vary from state to state, so I can't give a blanket, yes, these are dead, or, or no, they're not. I would say those bills themselves in their existing form are pretty much dead. But we could see bills that are very similar to them possibly appended to other legislation that is still very much alive. Got it. You're stealing my thunder. You defined germane and tabled, so you you're taking away my, well, I'm, I'm my questions. Jeez. <laughs> good, learning good learning. to anticipate. <laughs> Excellent. I like to hear that. So I'll cover uh, some of the remainder of the states. I'll cover one of Lauren's states, actually South Carolina, where she is right now. There are two bills down in, in South Carolina. Both are education savings accounts. There are companion bills, which means they're the same bills, but one starts in the House and one starts in the Senate. And hopefully the idea is that they uh, sort of meet in the middle. The first one is uh, House Bill 3681. That bill has 63 sponsors, including the Speaker of the House. That bill's currently sitting in the Ways and Means Committee and has also been referred to the Education Committee. Our fiscal guru, Dr. Marty Lucan, is down there, and I believe if they are having, still having the hearing, he will testify down there on the fiscal impact of, of HB 3681. Uh, the companion bill to that is Senate Bill 556, and that's also in the Education Committee awaiting uh, a hearing. So we will continue to monitor South Carolina, and hopefully 
Lauren will have some good reporting back to us uh, when she comes back from South Carolina. We'll move over to a state that I was just in, the Hawkeye State, Iowa. There's kind of a dearth of school choice bills there, mostly a couple of education savings accounts. One is, so the Iowa Senate Education Committee uh, released Senate File 547. That could create an education savings account for students with special needs. That's currently awaiting the subcommittee hearing because they have subcommittees there in Iowa before they move on to the full committees. Those are usually made up of three individuals in the Senate. Over in the House side, there's House File 663. That would also create a savings account grant for students who attend non-public schools. So as long as a a student was enrolled in a non-public school, they could receive funds that would go towards their education at that non-public school, as well as a variety of other educational expenses. But you would need to be enrolled in that non-public school to receive that grant if House File 663 were to pass. The bill that's made it sort of furthest in the process was uh, introduced by uh, Senator Jerry Bain. That's Senate File 372. That bill would create an education savings account grants likewise for students that attended those non-public schools. That actually received both a subcommittee hearing and a hearing on the full education committee, passed both of those, and is currently awaiting the Senate Appropriations Committee hearing there. No date yet to be determined for when that might receive a hearing, so we will wait and continue to monitor that. But it did pass both the subcommittees, both the subcommittee and the full education committee in the Senate. That, I believe, is actually the furthest that an education savings account bill has made it in the state of Iowa. So that's certainly something to be commended and watched. I do know that there's additional discussions on their STO program. It's their tax credit scholarship program in Iowa. I do know that there's discussions potentially in the budget for increasing the cap of that program. Uh, no hard discussions that I'm aware of on that, uh, currently you know, adding pen to paper. But I know that there's talk of, of increasing that because there is such a great demand for school choice and the tax credit program in Iowa that I do know that they're looking on raising the cap on their donations to the STO program. Additionally, the state of Nevada, the Silver State, has a couple of uh, education choice legislation being introduced. There's actually uh, one is uh, sort of uh, would be uh, removing some portions of the Educational Choice Scholarship Program, also known as the Opportunity Scholarship Program. It's the Tax Credit Scholarship Program in Nevada. That was introduced by the entire uh, Nevada Assembly Committee on Education. It's Assembly Bill 458. And simply what that would do, it would remove the automatic escalator clause for the tax credit program. Currently, that program is allowed to grow at 10% per year, as long as 90% of the cap on the donations were reached. That bill would remove that so that the legislature every two years would have to allow for more donation caps to take place. So we will continue to watch that. That would obviously lessen the amount of students automatically that would be allowed to use the program. And remember, Nevada meets every two years, so they couldn't... uh, you know, jigger with that in sort of a, a short session, as it were, in most states. In most states, there's a budget session, which is the long session. A short session just kind of takes care of some housekeeping business. They don't have that, so they would have to either be called back into special session or they'd have to wait those two years to go back into full session to raise the cap on those donations. So we'll continue to monitor that. There are currently two bills that would deal with ESAs, 
for victims of bullying or cyberbullying. There's Assembly Bill 396, was introduced by Assemblyman Chris Edwards. Like I said, children that were either bullied or cyberbullied in public schools would be able to receive an education savings account to get a different uh, alternative education. There's also Assembly Bill 380, which would basically accomplish the same thing. There are some minute differences between those two bills, but those would generally speaking accomplish the same sorts of things, and that's Assembly Bill 380. And that has joint sponsors from both the Assembly and the, and the Senate. And lastly, there is a uh, Senate Bill 404, and that would sort of create a tax credit scholarship kind of ESA-funded program for folks to utilize for career and technical education. That's currently waiting a hearing in the Senate Education Committee, but it'd be a very uh, a sort of stripped-down sort of tax credit-type-funded ESA just for career and technical education providers. But that is some form of educational choice. Sort of the last state that I'm going to cover, with really no legislation involved right now, is the state of West Virginia. Their session is over with no school choice legislation passed or implemented. But one of the governor's priorities, Governor Jim Justice's priorities, was to give public schools teachers a raise. And uh, we talked in previous podcasts that essentially the Senate had a big omnibus bill. They passed pay raises with a whole host of education reforms, including educational choice. That bill was sent over to the West Virginia House of Delegates, and you know, the whole bill was sort of uh, indefinitely tabled. And so there was no pay raise that was passed or educational choice programs that were passed. The governor has called for a special session on, quote, education betterment. So that includes a whole host of educational things. Uh, one of them could be educational choice as well as teacher races. So right now there is a um, sort of a listening tour across the state where educational stakeholders are giving testimony to the Department of Education about what they want to see included in that education betterment special session. So we will continue to monitor that as that comes across, uh, as that moves forward and we get closer to the dates of that special session. So I think that's a pretty good overview of school choice legislation across the country, especially for March, and a little bit of look ahead of uh, what's going to happen in April. So Jason, do you have anything else that you want to add before I uh, close out this podcast? That's it for me this week. You know, the, there's the first half of the year is done, most of the legislative year, that is. Most of the states have hit their crossover date. And, and that's where you have the biggest culling of legislation. So going forward, we'll only have the bills that uh, had enough popular support and, and uh, legislative support, really, to make it from one chamber over into the other chamber. That's when legislative bodies start negotiating with each other over which things pass. There's lots of horse trading going on behind the scenes. And again, we will keep all of our faithful listeners posted as to the progress of all these bills. That's perfect. Thank you for that. I do want to, before we sign off, wish a speedy recovery to uh, Jacob here, who uh, handles a lot of our technical stuff here. He has injured his hand, and it's in quite a gnarly cast, keeping it safe. So we wish Jacob a speedy recovery, and we wish a happy birth to Katie Brooks, our marketing director, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl today, or yesterday, excuse me, Phoebe. So we wish her the best of luck, and we're going to miss her for the next three months while she's on maternity leave. But uh, she and her expanding family are in our thoughts and prayers.
So with that, uh, if you have any things that you want us to hear about on these podcasts, please email us at media at edchoice.org. Subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Please give us a follow on our social media pages at EdChoice. Again, that's at EdChoice. And if you go to our website, you can sign up for our email at www.edchoice.org. So with that, everybody, I wish you uh, a good day on this Thursday. Probably by the time you hear it, it'll be Friday or maybe Monday. But it's Thursday here in the studio. So I guess wish you all a good weekend and have a great month of April. 